0: And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Would you please pray with me? Lord, once again, you, you are here. You are present. This is not just some, um, some fact that we are talking about. This is actually a conversation where you, the creator of the universe, are speaking to us. And where your spirit is actually dwelling among us, enabling us to hear. And so we pray for that. We pray that you would help us to hear whatever we need to hear this morning. That you would... Renew us, that you would turn us towards you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So every week when I'm working on a sermon, which obviously isn't every week, but most of the time, um, one of the things, the questions that I'm just haunted with as I'm writing is, is this practical? If you know me, you know I'm somewhat of a big picture thinker. Um, and that's fun except for the fact that you know big picture thinking doesn't always touch down in life and most of our lives are not lived at the altitude of really big ideas and massive theories most of our life of course is lived like at two in the morning when we have to change a diaper and they're sure that it's our spouse's turn (laughs) or or when we are facing the fact that today we're going to have to have a difficult conversation with an employee who's just really not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Or well, our life is lived in the fun of having you know a lunchtime table of friends that you get to see every day. Most of our life, of course, is lived in the practicalities. And so it's important when we're thinking about God's Word to see how it speaks to those practicalities. But I want to suggest that I think we have it a little bit wrong if we think that we should only be focusing on the practicalities. I wanna suggest that maybe, just maybe, there is something right about reading the Bible impractically or at least in a way that feels impractical because here's the thing, when we zero in on those smaller details, that inevitably keeps our focus from seeing what is larger. When we are focusing just on the story of how do I get through today, we lose sight of the bigger story that defines everything. And that story is actually important even when it comes to practical things. Alistair MacIntyre, a philosopher, famously wrote about 40 years ago, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself apart? See, whenever we're asking, what do I do right now, we need to ask the larger question, what am I doing with life? At least whether we ask it consciously, it's there. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? What is our happily ever after that our hearts are pursuing? And what are the obstacles, the things that we're trying to overcome that stand in the way? What is that story that is incredibly important? So this morning, I would like to get impractical with you. And I want us to actually think about stories. In fact, I want to go even further than that. I want us to think about about Star Wars <laughs> and the Matrix and Harry Potter. So not just stories, but fictional stories, and not just fictional stories, but fictional stories that live in completely different universes. We know we don't live in the world of wizards or the force or, or the, the Matrix. But have you noticed that those stories all, in some ways, are basically the same story? We thought about this? They, they always start with a focal character, and that character feels out of sync, right? They, they feel maybe disconnected from their family or their community, or they, they, they don't like the life they have. They feel like they're meant for something more, or just something feels off. There is a restlessness, whether we're talking about Luke or Harry or Neo. But then, early on in the story comes a moment of revelation. A moment, usually with someone speaking to them, where suddenly they discover for the first time that this world is wilder and more wonderful and more mysterious than they had understood beforehand. That there is a transcendence that, until that moment, has been hidden from their eyes. You think of, if you know the story the Matrix, um, Morpheus, as he speaks to Neo, and, and he says the Matrix is everywhere. Or or think of Obi-Wan in this moment of revelation where he says the force is an energy field that created by living things that surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the galaxy together. Or Hagrid more succinctly, you're a wizard Harry. I mean each of these moments is a moment of something bigger. And as these characters recognize that there is something bigger, something transcendent in this world, they also become aware of a cosmic battle of forces of evil that they were unaware of before, whether it's it's the evil Voldemort facing wizards or whether you're talking about the dark force against the Jedi or whether you're talking about the Matrix and the machine against humanity, they suddenly become aware that there's this cosmic battle and they are offered a way of participating in it, A, a power that they might be able to have if they want to join in. This all happens in this moment of revelation, and so they come to a place of decision. They could perhaps decide to forget what they've learned. They could perhaps just go back to the life that they once had and and remain restless. Or they could take this new revelation in And if they do, it will permanently change them, and they will never be the same. To quote the great Morpheus once again, after this, he says, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in wonderland, and I show you how deep this rabbit hole goes. There is a choice where if they take hold of it, their old life will be gone, their old community will be gone, and they will join a new community, whether it's of the wizards or the Jedi or whomever, their life will be permanently changed. See, it's the same story, right? Again and again you see it, I could keep going with that. And yet it works. Like if you think about these three stories, they have made this deep imprint upon our culture. Why is that? Why do we keep telling the same story again and again and again? Could it be that we deep down in our culture keep telling ourselves this story because we sense that there is something truer to this fiction story than the stuff that we hear on the news or in the classroom or in our conversations? Could it be that we we find ourselves identifying with those characters who say, this isn't right, the characters who feel like there's something more to reality than they're being presented with, a longing for something more. Could it be that we sense deep down that there is something to this idea of transcendence and a cosmic battle and something bigger? So I want, and just bear with me for a moment, I wanna suggest that as we understand the world of Romans where Paul is writing to, there is a real sense in which these Christians have that very same role. The Christians that Paul is writing to have the very same role as those characters we've talked about before, characters who feel out of touch, out of sync with the world. And Paul, that's right, Paul is Obi-Wan. Or Paul is Morpheus. Paul is someone who is coming to expand their horizons and help them to understand the bigger story. Just briefly, and we'll come back to our passage later, but briefly, I want you to notice just two things. It, it, it seems in our passage that we have hints. That the people he's writing to, this young Roman church, are are feeling at odds, feeling uncomfortable. Did you notice he, he speaks about desiring to come to strengthen them? He desires to come so that they might be mutually encouraged. They need to be encouraged. He says near the very end of the passage, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And the only reason he would say that is if they were thinking you might be. If we continued on to chapter 5 and 8, we see Paul at length talking about facing persecution and how God is there even in the midst of suffering. And I think we're supposed to understand, it's not easy being a Christian in Rome. (coughs) There's division in the church, there's persecution without, and they're feeling uncertain. It's not hard to understand why when you are living in the shadow of the emperor, What looks so mighty and so great, and yet you, in your feeble faith, feel so weak. When you compare yourself side by side with these Jews who have these great traditions and law and all of these things that make them look so pious, and yet you feel so not. It's not hard to imagine how Romans, these Christians who had come to faith, would be wondering, what is going on? Have I come to a dead end? And secondly, I want you to notice that Paul, what he does is he expands their sense of this story. We can see this in multiple places, but I'll just point to one of them. Notice what he says in verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the worlds. In that one sentence, notice what he's doing. One, he's saying, God, the creator of the universe, is doing something among you. And it's to a cosmic significance. The whole world wants to know it. He is expanding the story and saying there is something bigger, there is something transcendent. He is is trying to move them to this point of revelation more clearly. Now you might say, Jeff, that that is a bit of a stretch. This does not feel like the Morpheus speech or the Obi-Wan speech. This feels like a couple of things. And I would agree, but I would point out that this is actually the second conversation What I mean by that is these people, these Roman Christians, they've already had someone come to them and for the very first time expand their world and and bring them into this new story. And they're starting to fade. And that's why Paul is saying, I want to come to tell you it again. So for us to really understand what Paul is doing in these verses as he's trying to kind of remind them, point them back to the story they already hear, we kind of need to go back and understand the very first conversation that took place, not between Paul and them, but between another missionary very much like Paul. And so what I'd like to do is to try to imagine that conversation. But I don't think it'll be that interesting if we try to imagine what it would have been like in that time. It's hard for us to recreate. Instead, let's actually imagine it's modern day. And it's you who's having the conversation with the Apostle Paul. Maybe you've had an interaction, a friend of yours knows Paul and you've met him, and it seems like something significant. He he knows something, and so you invite him over for coffee. And so now imagine, in your mind's eye, think of being at your your kitchen table or your dining room table, and across the table, there is Paul. And you, you both, like you have hot drinks, maybe it's coffee, tea, whatever you both like. And he, so he has the drink in hand, he's his Bible on the table, he's a man in his 40s, dark hair, bushy beard, beginning to gray at the sides, olive skin, and, and just kind of a quiet confidence about him. And you know, the first few minutes are that awkward kind of conversation where you, you, know, you talk about each other's backgrounds and you try to kind of get each other comfortable. But at a certain point, Paul begins. And he says to you, I want you to know that what you know deep down is true. That what you sense is real, that there is more to this world than the way people speak or how they act. What it seems from a surface, there is something bigger and transcendent and wild and wonderful to this reality. And you know this because there are hints all over You look at the world, and you see beauty, and you know it's not something you've made up, that beauty is real, and it calls out to you towards something more. You know this because you know that love is not just some product of evolution. It's real, and you know it's real because you've experienced love, and you know the power that love has. You know about this transcendence Because you know when you see a human being, you see more than just a a meat machine. When when a baby enters the world and, and breathes her first breath, or when a loved one leaves this world and gives his last breath, you know there is more There is a spiritual reality here and is pointing to this bigger, this vast, transcendent reality because, Paul says, in this world, this world lives and moves and has its being in God himself. Paul takes a sip of his coffee and continues. You also know something else, he says that there is something deeply, deeply wrong with this world. There's something tragically broken about it that that no normal explanations really are able to name. No matter what the economists say, it's not just about the wrong distribution of wealth. No matter what the politicians say, it's not just about the wrong leaders being in power. No matter even what the psychologists say, it's not just about people being mistreated as children and then kind of acting that out as adults. There's something deeper that really can only be named if you use that old-fashioned word evil. There is evil. In this world. When, when entire armies of, of people collectively mow down children and women in an act of genocide, evil is the only word you can use for that. When entire nations treat people only because of the color of their skin as less human as animals enslaving them, that is evil. When men in position of power are able to degrade women and abuse them and even abuse sexually children, that is evil. No material, shallow explanation names it right. There is something deep and transcendent and we are in a world where that evil needs to be done, where things need to be made. Now let me pause for a moment and ask, if you are across the table from Paul, are you with him in this moment? Do you feel like you're resonating? Does he sound right to you? He continues on. He says, now here's here's the part that almost everyone gets wrong, or at least many people get wrong. Here's what people misunderstand. Evil is not just some something that stands outside of you, some arch villain or some terrible group of people or some malignant force. Evil is a corruption that is pervasive. It is everywhere around you, and it is inside of you as well. Evil is fundamentally a disorder. It's about disorder. See, if you think about it, Paul goes on, whenever you think of where beauty and goodness and health and life are to be found, you find order. You find it in the intricacy of the human body. In the delicate balance of an ecosystem. You find order in an achingly beautiful song. In, In all of these, everything has its right place. There is a harmony. There is a working together. There is an order that makes it good. But when that order is broken, when When the cells multiply in a way they're not supposed to and cancer is found. Or when an instrument is suddenly out of tune. When the, the order is broken, that is when you experience wrong. And Paul says, so also is the way it works in this world in the most transcendent level. This world was made beautiful. This world was made with order. God created this world where everything fit in just the right place, in just the right way, where he is at the center. And in the same way that with the sunshine being the source of all light and all heat, so he is the source of all that is good and all love and all wisdom and all beauty. And the world was meant to be around God and absorbing all of that and responding in love and praise. And humanity finds its freedom as it experiences the love and truth of God and responds in worship. That is how the world was meant to be. And it was beautiful and evil Evil comes because of rupture in this relationship, because of a disorder, because of a breaking where humanity rather than being turned towards God, turned away from God. Evil, to use the biblical term, is found in idolatry. Everything we see in this world, every wrong, everything that we know should be different, has its root at the very beginning in turning away from God. And this world will not be whole, and it will not be right until everything that God has made worships God. And we will not be right until we do. Now I'll pause and and just say there is much that Paul is saying right here that feels counter to how we think of things. When we think of evil, when we think of what's wrong with the world... And and I won't have time this morning to kind of fully develop or defend what he is saying. But next week, you'll see in chapter one, verse 18 onward, this is where Paul will talk about how idolatry is the source of things. But so that we can understand the big picture, let's continue on. So Paul now has paused, takes another sip of his coffee, looks out the window, kind of getting himself ready to say what's next, but probably also giving you a time to just kind of listen and to think about what he said. But then at a certain moment, he comes with intensity in his eyes and he says, this here is what I want you to understand most. This here is what is the most important part. That we right now are in the time when things are being made right. And in fact, this conversation in this very moment between you and me is of extraordinary cosmic importance and he pulls his bible from the table and he says here here's what you need to understand One of our ancient prophets, the prophet Isaiah, God spoke to him and he made this promise. He promised that he was going to make this world right. He said it again and again. He said, I will send my righteousness. That's how he spoke of it. I will send my righteousness and evil will be defeated. I will send my righteousness and this world will be made whole. I will send my righteousness and people will be made right with me and they will worship me. And he goes on and he tells Isaiah how he's going to do this. That he is going to send a king. A king into his people Israel. A king who will rule in such a way that righteousness will, will be part of his rule and people will be led back to God in worship. And it will not just stop with Israel. Isaiah says that that when this king is enthroned, when all authority has been given to him, he will send emissaries throughout the world to all the nations to bring people in worship of him. We, we read it earlier where Isaiah says, They shall declare my glory among the nations, and they shall be people from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. These emissaries will go throughout the world and turn people everywhere they go to worship to worship God until the world is filled with the worship of God, until the world is filled with the glory of God in the same way that the waters cover the sea. And then Paul looks, and you know where he's gonna go with this now. And you anticipate what he's about to say. He says, I want you to understand that that is happening right now. The gospel that I preach, what is the gospel that I preach? But that Jesus is God's appointed king, and in resurrection he has been enthroned, and all glory has been given to him, and he is the bringer of righteousness, and he has sent out his emissaries into the world, and you know what? I am one of them. I am someone that Jesus sent out in fulfillment of the prophecy, I am someone who is going, proclaiming, inviting people to worship him. And right now, do you know what you are? You are one of the people from the nations that I am calling. Right now, in this moment, prophecy is being fulfilled. Right now, God is making the world right. If you hear, if you are willing to open yourself up, your life will not be the same. You will be changed. You will be part of this work of making all things right. Now let's return back in our mind's eye from sitting across the table with Paul. We're now here again. Do you see, if you understand where Paul is going with this conversation, as, as, as you understand this initial moment of revelation when Paul or others were sharing to these Christians, do you see now how Paul is is referring back to that again and again in our passage. How does he begin? "I'm I'm an apostle, he says, a servant of Christ Jesus set apart for this gospel. And what's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus is king, he is risen from the dead. And in verse five, that he is, that we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. That's our job. We are the ones who are being sent. We are the emissaries to draw people into worship and what does he say to them you are those who are called you are those who are loved by God I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in the world because promises are being fulfilled because God is setting things right and here's where he says at the very end this is why I'm so excited about the gospel I'm not ashamed of it because you know what it's talking about it's talking about the righteousness of God it's here And you can see how important this would be for the Romans. Paul is saying, you need to understand that what you are experiencing is just some fraction. There is a larger story that you are a part of. Yes, the Roman Empire looks big and great, but it's going to fade. Yes, Jewish religion looks impressive, but it was pointing to what you have right now. What you have right now is of cosmic, extraordinary significance, and you get to be a part of it. And of course, these words that Paul writes, he doesn't just write to the Romans. You know, when I was a kid, when I would encounter stories like Star Wars, I felt this deep, at times, longing within me. I wanted that. I wanted I wanted an Obi-Wan moment, I wanted somehow to find out that this world is actually way more adventurous and exciting than sometimes it feels, and that somehow I could play a role in something big, that I could actually be a part of that. And what this morning, in this moment, I want you to understand is that as great as all of these stories are, whether we're talking about wizards, or the force, or the matrix, or children entering a wardrobe, or hobbits carrying a ring, we could keep going on. As great as all of these stories are, and they are truly great stories, they are only a shadow of the truer and greater adventure that is reality. There is a bigger, glorious, transcendent, wild and mysterious world that we in our realities often pretend or forget or live as if it doesn't exist, but it is there. And there is a cosmic battle that is going on that is of great significance and God is active and he is making things right and he is sending out his gospel with power so that all who hear it are brought, even in a sense as we are right now, into this moment of revelation. That this is true, and this power is offered to us, power that is greater than the force or magic, the power, The gospel where God's own spirit comes with it and transforms and we are given this choice we could just leave it alone, we could just go back to our lives and and return to the restlessness and the sense that things are not quite right or we could receive this revelation and our lives will never be the same There is a real story. There is a real transcendence. There is a real happily ever after that is before us. And there is a real battle that we are invited to participate in. A battle for the very worship of our hearts and the worship of this world. And the way it begins and the way it continues is by faith. is by allowing ourselves to take hold of this gospel and see where it takes us. And I invite us, however we're hearing God's word right now, to respond. To respond in a time of prayer. Whether it's a time of confession where we seek to turn away from the old and turn towards the new. Or prayer to ask God for help or even for God to show himself. In a couple of minutes' time, I will lead us in prayer,
0: but let's spend a couple minutes in quiet.